Ramble. Welcome to Curious with Josh Peck. Start the show. Oh, shit, son. Back at it again with the podcast. Ah, oh, so much to report. What a life. What a week. God, we are well into the new year. How are those resolutions doing, guys? Are they holding up? Huh? Are we seeing them through? No? Maybe. Probably not. Why? Because resolutions are bullshit. Because you're still you. And I'm still me, and I can't speak for you, and I don't mean to project or to, like, you know, assume that I understand your plight, but I am a human being having a human experience, and thus I feel as though that's relatable because I'm not that special. And inevitably, we're all going through some sort of similar sort of life experience slash fuckery. And to me... Just resolutions don't work. Declarations, anything with Asians at the end of it. It's just, it's not for me because I'm just slow and steady. You know, if I can make like a slight uh, sort of uh, directional change, like I'm talking millimeters per year, I am on a good path, you know. I heard someone say once that if you looked at the sh- like at a ship crossing the ocean and you like adjusted the coordinates just slightly like uh I don't know I don't know longitudes and latitudes I'm not an educated guy but I, I you know I don't know what port and starboard side is what do I look like I was in the navy but nevertheless join me in this weird sort of uh analogy I'm making but um yeah but if you were just to adjust the coordinates just slightly that ship, over time, would end up at a completely different spot. And you know what? At the end of the day, that's enough for me. Because these are the things I tell myself. What do you tell yourself to make yourself feel okay? Because we all have it, right? There's all got to be, you know, there's, there's got to be uh, just a collection of affirmations or phrases or advice friends have given us, things that make us sleep better at night. Jesus. Sorry, guys. I'm I'm recording this in my car in a parking garage, and I literally think the world just came to an end. No, that was just some douchebag in a really loud car. I don't mean to judge, but I'm not that guy. I'll never understand that guy that needs to be heard while he's driving. That actually pays more money to have the car tuned up. To have it become louder. What's the use? What are you trying to prove? It just sounds... You should have... The, the car tuned to actually make a sound as you drive, which is, Dad, pay attention! Or, I have a small penis! Or, I don't feel okay about my life! That's what, that's what we, that, that's what should be playing from your car as it drives by, waking up my baby and whatnot. Come on. Come on. But yeah, we all have the things that we tell ourselves that'll make us feel like we're we're just doing okay, you know? Uh, life's rejection is God's protection. Uh, this too shall pass. Uh, I don't know. You know, it's easy. We like to move the uh, we like to move the finish line to sort of complement where wherever we are in life. I saw someone sent out. I think my mom sent me an email the other day, like. 
you know, Morgan Freeman didn't get his first huge acting role till his 50s. And Tina Fey, she didn't hit it till her 30s. And like all these people, these like really famous people who did it later in life. And I mean, I guess that's that's true. But, you know, we can't ignore the people that killed it at 20. You know, the DiCaprios of the world. Right? Some people are just killing it at an early age. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg and Bill Gates. But I, uh, but I don't know. Uh, what else? What else is going on in the world? You know, the government shut down. That's cool. Who thought that could happen? Right? Not me. It did, the government just felt like 7-Eleven, that it was always open. You know? At 4 a.m., if you need a Red Bull, there's one place to go. The government and 7-Eleven. But apparently it's not true. The government can shut down like a fucking Tower Records or a... I don't know. What else shuts down? It's like a big box store with those signs. Like, they should literally paste on the front of the White House those big yellow signs that say, like, clearance sale, blowout sale, closing in eight days. Must get rid of everything. Lucky you. Right? Because, I mean, God, just Jesus. People are suffering. The national parks have no people there. I mean, God, if public restrooms weren't bad enough in sort of public public spaces at this point, there there's just no maintenance going on. So that just sounds terrifying to go anywhere near those spots. And we never seem closer to sort of uh, uh, some sort of compromise or seeing eye to eye. You know, it's like the libtards versus the right wing hillbillies. And it just we're just playing for different teams. Even though we're like all breathing the same air and living on the same land and probably deep down have like eh, similar values for the most part. I mean, there's like the extreme left or right, but when you get a little closer to the center, we're all sort of just worried about putting food on the table and hoping that our kids aren't assholes and trying to have like a vacation every now and then. I mean, it's quite simple. And yet it just feels like we live on different planets. I mean, you know, listen, I'm a Jew from New York who grew up with a single mom loving hip-hop, so I'm sure you can imagine my fucking political uh, affiliation. But but I try. I try to understand, you know? Like, I, I, I don't want to be that overly, overly idyllic fucking Hollywood type who's who's, you know, who thinks that everyone should think like me and that I've got the market cornered because I live, like, in a coastal city that pretty much has like totally adopted liberal ideas. I understand that like Los Angeles and New York isn't always a great representation of what the rest of the country is thinking. And I do, I try to understand and 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 yet um it seems like we all want the same thing to a certain extent. We just have fundamentally different ways of getting there. And we cannot agree on the best way. It's like we all want to go to Disneyland, but somebody wants to take the streets and other people want to take the freeway. And some people just want to take a fucking kamikaze plane and fly it right in the goddamn Big Thunder Mountain. And uh, it's disheartening. But it's the reality in which we live. And maybe it was always this way. Maybe social media made it worse or maybe social media just allows us to see it more clearly. But there have been very few people whom... 
you know, whose belief structure or, 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 or political uh, pursuits or passions that I didn't agree with. And yet it seems as though whenever I've sat down with these people and we've had rational conversations, uh, we all seem to want the same thing. And they're usually quite lovely. So I don't know. I don't have the answer. I don't think I can run for president. I'd probably have to go back to school, right? Because you're going to, you know, you're going to fucking vote for a president who went to homeschool. I mean, listen, I realize we voted for a reality star and I'm not hating. Please don't take to the message boards. This is not like overtly political, but, you know, I, I probably have to go back to school. And become a lawyer or something, something governmental to understand sort of the rules and whatnot. But I have thought about it. Give myself like a 28-year runway. A nice 60-year-old president, I think, is something you can get behind. I'm 32 now. Go back to college, law school, pass the bar. That's eight years, 40. Then, you know, public service, be a sort of a, a community leader of some sort try to really start giving back, looking at the big picture. Maybe I could do it by 50. I don't know. But who knows? Who knows if I'd even be effective? You know, maybe I should just try to get, like, good and famous, and then you're more effective that way because people listen more to you. And when you've got, like, the reach of Ariana Grande with 100 million-plus Instagram followers, maybe that's more effective. I, You know, I don't know. I don't know the answer. But, um... It sure does make for some good podcast fodder. Am I right? Uh, On today's show, Brian Kelly, the points guy, heard of him? TPG.com. Do you go there? What, do you like paying full price for your plane tickets? Do you like flying like fucking economy where you have to like literally pay a hundred bucks to bring on like uh, your iPhone on the Spirit Airlines? I'm not throwing shade, but we've all been there. You know what I mean? Where you like literally have to pay for water. That ain't fun. But a guy like Brian Kelly has created a website so you don't have to do that. So you can like maximize your points and like fly on those sick lay flat beds and literally shower on an airplane. What? Who doesn't want to do that? I know. Listen, we, we've all flown back of the plane on Southwest, you know, boarding group uh, like M, and that's fine. You know, we could slum it, but sometimes you want to treat yourself. Um, Brian is a, a good buddy of mine. He's incredibly smart. He's grown quite the empire with the Point Sky, um, helping travelers to sort of uh, travel better and smarter, and to to utilize uh, points and and frequent flyer miles to really get the most bang for your buck. And he also has a podcast which you should listen to as well. But uh, it was such a pleasure to sit down with my buddy, and I hope you guys enjoy. Here's Brian. Boom, boom. Sounds good. Here, give me something. All right. One, two, three. I had chicken for lunch today. Is my sound good? Yeah. Cool. Better better than good. Um, here we are. Can you believe this? <laughs> How lucky are we? We're in the, we're in the Point Sky mothership. <laughs> can't believe it. Uh, or kennel. The kennel, right? Because <laughs> you got like three dogs running around here being adorable. 
Do they keep up morale around the... For sure. I mean, when you're having a bad day and you see this little gremlin face looking at you, you know, it's <laughs> like, I sometimes think it's, it's productivity being dashed by it. But I think, you know, having these dogs, it's a part of our culture and it's got to bring a smile to your face. It is slightly startup-y, right? Yeah. I mean, to have like a, a, a pet-friendly environment. Totally. You know, I sold the site in 2012 to a publicly traded company and part of my running it and, and is to have full control. And I like kind of feeling like we're a startup, even though we're not really, you know, we do free lunch every day. We've got the kombucha and cold brew on tap and LaCroix endlessly supplied. But, um, you know, I, I just believe in treating my employees well and they'll treat the employee or the, the company well. And it seems to have worked. Well, you, you wouldn't stop pushing the LaCroix on me. I, mean, at a certain <laughs> I know, and I'm point. not even sponsored by them. That's yeah. how much of a fan I am. I, uh, I think I'm just grasping on, I'm 35 years old, so I'm kind of a millennial. You know, I'm right. like on the cusp. Me too, so, 31. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, fizzy water is fucking in. I know. <laughs> I but I'm nervous can... now. All these reports keep coming out about it ruining your teeth. Really? And, yeah. But, ah, live dangerously, yeah, will I don't you? drink soda. I drink, I mean, if LaCroix is my poison, then. Come on. Yeah. Well, then take me down. <laughs> um, you know, it's incredible to, to walk in here. And, and as I said to you, I've, I've been a fan of the website for years and there is this really personal touch, but then you come in here and this is like, I mean, how many employees do you have? So in New York, we are, it, it, you know, right now we have seven interns, about 30 full-time. Then we've also got a team of six engineers in Pasadena and a bunch of people at our corporate corporate office in Charlotte. And then we've got people like JT Genter, our number one writer, who's a global nomad. He sold all of his belongings and him and his wife travel around the world, just choosing destinations as they go with their cat. Right. Um, you know, we've got people all around the world writing, you know, probably 50 different contributors. So it's really hard to pin how many people, but you know, on a, you know, we do 35 new posts every day. So it's kind of like we're a full blown kind of magazine, but daily and only digital. And could you have ever imagined that it would be at this size or the scale? Never. You know, I think it was all very quick when it started. You know, it, this started as a just a hobby. I never wanted to even monetize this site. And you came from the finance world? Yeah, or? I mean, I was in HR. I was doing recruiting for Morgan Stanley. So my job was to recruit all the computer scientists out of MIT um, and Cornell and convince them to join Morgan Stanley instead of Google and Facebook, all the sexy tech companies. So I basically, and I started that in August of 07 and I had an unlimited expense account because Morgan Stanley's like, it's, oh. it's impossible to sell. So I was going and I would go to MIT and I'd have a whole stand of 20 Xboxes on the table giving away to get, you know, cause everyone competes for like the top computer science talent. So, and the MIT kids, and the they MIT. want an Xbox. Oh, totally. I mean, let's yeah. be real. I mean, you know, the, so I was, you know, all of a sudden I'm putting all these expenses on my corporate Amex and, you know, my travel. And then during the recession, all the loyalty companies were giving huge bonuses because, you know, business travel fell off a cliff. So all of a sudden I'm raking in, you know, a million points a year, which was like, you know, twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 in extra compensation, right, that I wasn't getting in the form of a bonus. So points for me became... Um, you know, the, the shining part of my compensation. The um, reason to keep yeah, on going. I mean, and then I was like, okay, I'll take the, you know, a travel assignment. I lived in Montreal during the week for about a year and a half while we set up our office there. And I lived in the W Hotel, raking in tons and tons of star points. So it became a game to me. And I've always been good at points, but 
you know, all my friends were like, you're the points guy. You know, I would help them all use their points. And at a certain point, I was like, you know what? I, I could probably teach people a thing or two about this. You living at the W Hotel, I feel like it's like a heroin addict living in a poppy field. <laughs> <laughs> like, you must have been in all your majesty there. I mean, I would come in. They knew me. I was, I think, one of their top customers. They would upgrade me to the Wow Street or the Wow Suite or the Extreme Wow Suite. If you know, And then I would scratch their back by emailing corporate that it's my favorite hotel in the world. So, you know, when you're a business traveler and you're on the road so much, you got to you got to play the game, right? You know, right. cause business, it gets old, you know? Uh, so, oh, and lonely It lonely. Yeah. And you're, and when you think about it, you're giving so much of your time, your life, your, your youth to a company that, you know, it's okay. You should get points and, and, and loyalty back and no, it's not the company's property. And, you know, very few companies will keep their employees points, but across the board, you know, when you travel for business, you, those points are yours. And I have a follow-up question about that, but before, now that you are have enough space between you and, and Morgan Stanley, are you willing to admit your most extravagant purchase on your your corporate card? You know... Your expense account? Yeah, it's been eight years, so no, I'm, I'm still <laughs> friends. You know, I, I, I never did anything out of policy, but I, I was certainly milking the system. Like, all my coworkers, they didn't realize the points thing, so I figured out how to you know, the, the expense system, I figured it out. It was a pain, pain in the butt system to put, fill in your forms and upload them. And you'd have to fax a piece of paper in, but all my colleagues were like, Brian, you're the best. You know, thank you so much for putting this $30,000 charge on your card. And I'm like uh, sitting there thinking to myself, like, you're killing I just me guys. stole like 200 bucks from you in points. But, um, but you know, so I would take, you know, there's all these different ways to earn points that there's restaurants and uh, dining. So airline dining programs, it's very simple. You just attach your credit card to a dining program and then you get additional miles in addition to the expense. So, you know, I'd take all 60 of our interns to these random restaurants in Times Square and, you know, all the interns were like, Brian, why do we keep going to this weird Brazilian restaurant? <laughs> yeah, and it was, a, it was a participating restaurant in the extra mileage program. So I was earning like 5,000 extra miles per lunch. Um, which, you know, back then a hundred thousand miles was round trip business class to Europe. Yeah. That's so, huge. So, you know, every, each lunch was 5% of a business class ticket. So, I mean, it's all these little things that added up and, you know, even though I didn't, uh, have a penny to my name, really, I was still flying first class all around the world. And do you think that it was there a part of you in doing that? And, and we'll talk more about sort of your upbringing and where you come from. But I imagine what I've heard from many people that, that have had the trajectory that you've had. And I know a few of people that started in the traditional finance world, had dreams of something else, not exactly sure what, and then built it to something incredible and kind of said, God, I'm glad I had that experience, but I'm not sure I could have ever gone back. Was there parts of you in that super corporatized financial world where you were like, uh, I hope this isn't me for the rest of my oh, life. A hundred percent. I mean, the biggest thing for me was, so I, you know, I always looked at my boss's boss and I would be like, I don't want that job. They're miserable. And for me, so I worked in HR during 07 to, I was there through June of 11. Before so, the collapse. Well, no, it was, that was the, the height the of the collapse. Of yeah. The so 07 was the beginning and 08 was terrible. 09, terrible. Was it like zombies it walking zo the halls? Totally. So I'm six foot seven. And even though I was in recruiting, and we still recruited college grads in tech because you can't just stop, right? Um, but we were firing people left and right. We called them RIFs, reductions in force. And even though I was in recruiting, they would pull me in to be the person that they would fire people all day through a you know reduction. And I'd be standing outside the door in a suit, and I would have to escort these people who had worked their whole lives at Morgan Stanley. Ugh. I'd have to wait. They couldn't go back to their desk because it would cause a scene. So I'd have to escort them directly to the elevator, then stand in the elevator with them and walk them out 
and then through the turnstile. And Do you have any good stories? Did anyone ever curse you, you out? You know, people were, I'm like, I was open with people. I'm like, this sucks for me too. You know, but yeah. I got to do it. I'm not losing my job front by not doing it. But th- what crystallized it for me was I, I worked one day with this head managing director. I fired half of his team with him, demoralizing day. And then the next day, you know, we would get these, e- you know, emails with a spreadsheet of just the people who were going the next day. And then the next day I fired him. It was so cutthroat. And the next day I was walking him out. He thought he had made it through because, I mean, it, it, it really just showed me, I mean, Working in a super corporate world, like they're they're not going to have your best interests at heart, right? Ever, ever. And you know, it's just good to know that. That's not saying you can't have an amazing career at a big company, but for me, I just saw I saw a lot. But I also I learned a ton, and you know, I think what's allowed me. There's a bunch of other bloggers in this space. What's allowed me to build this to where it is today is my experience at Morgan Stanley, especially since the companies that I deal with as my advertisers, the credit card companies, are very similar to investment banks, right? And how they're set up and legal teams and compliance and the complexities of getting something approved through a large corporation. You need to understand that. And, and I always did. And I think that gave me a huge advantage when you know it was me and a bunch of other bloggers and it allowed me to kind of eclipse them over the years. Well, it sounds uh, it, it sounds kind of trite, but it's so true of like, you'll never know what your past experiences that you've accrued, how in weird ways they've served you to land in this place. 100%. And, and a huge example of that is, so I had bought the Point Sky domain in April of 09. I had the idea. I sat on it for a year because a lot of people, you know, I self-doubt. A lot of people would say, oh, come on, the world doesn't need another travel blog, Brian. You know, you're in HR, you're, you know, and you get all that self-doubt. Um, but it, the reason why I started it was because a former coworker, she was like my work wife. I loved her. Her husband um, convinced me. He's like, come to my house on Staten Island. And he was a WordPress developer. I didn't even know what WordPress was. You know, I, I had the con- I don't even know what it is. Yeah. <laughs> so I, he's like, if you come to my house in Staten Island, I'll set you up with your own website and so that you can start blogging tomorrow. What's I, that like HTML? Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's yeah. WordPress is like, you know, the, what most blogs are, 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 are run on and we're still a WordPress, you know, eight years later, you know, tons of, you know, we're heavily modified. I've got my own WordPress developers now, but you know, so I went there, it was a former coworker that I stayed in touch with and it changed my life. Cause the next day I started blogging and I said, you know, so it was June of 2010, and I said, I'm going to blog every single day because the other travel bloggers in my space were only blogging a couple times a week. And I remember going to their websites, clicking refresh. I'm like, I want more content. So I was like, you know, if I'm going to come in, I'm going to give this like a New Yorker's perspective. I work on Wall Street. I'm not going to write about stuff that people don't care about. I'm going to, and, you know, I just started blogging every single day. And it was, you know, that fall, it really started to take off. And I remember going to my first cocktail party when someone was like, you're the points guy. Oh. And I just remember being like, it was like, Wow. Like, I've you know, made this, it. you know, cause behind the computer, you, you know, as a content creator, you put stuff out there and you know, yeah, it's your in own the beginning. You don't vacuum. realize, you know, you don't have fans coming up to you in the beginning and stuff. So that was like, wow, people, and I was making no money on it, but that was when I was like, I think I'm onto something here. I love doing it. I would stay up till two in the morning, even when I had to work the next day to make sure I got my blog post out. Um, and it really is that reader feedback to this day, what still keeps me really excited about, about, keeping the blog going. 
it's it's funny too, and it's sort of a douchey quality of mine. But at this point, because I've gotten Drake and Josh for so long since I was like fourteen, when someone comes up to me, I'm appreciative, yeah. of course. Yeah. But I'm always like, okay, cool. But like, if someone's like love the podcast yeah. or like love some like random art house movie I did years yeah. ago, I'm like, can we just take a moment? Because I friggin' appreciate yeah. you, like yeah. that. But no, I know what it means to to all of a sudden be validated by the outside population yeah. for people to be interacting with this thing that for the most part everything we do for people like us it lives in our minds mm-hmm. until we finally put it out there and you self-doubt yourself because i would always say well i'm not and truthfully i'm not the smartest person in the points world i'm not there's plenty of way and actually mo- many people who work here today you know i don't even write that much anymore i mean i still have very strong editorial control and you know my talent is really in hiring smarter people than me and that's like any any good business is knowing that I, you know, in the beginning, I wasn't big with United. I didn't, I had, it was a huge knowledge gap for me, but I still had to cover it. And I would always think, oh, you know, is this good enough or am I an expert enough? And especially starting to go on TV and I would sit there and be, I would nearly faint before going on live TV because I'd be like, what if I come off as stupid, right? And you doubt yourself, but you turn a corner. And for me, it was like paying to get media training, um, which I didn't think I needed, but I went for like two days at this company in Chicago and they brought me through how to, yeah, the purpose of an interview on TV as, you know, if you're going on as a free contributor is you've got to get your point across. Like you got to, and you also, it's okay to bring it back to you and understanding, um, you know, the purpose and how to, even if you don't know the answer to a question, you can always bridge it back to something you do know. So sure. that's, this whole thing has been a, a huge learning, uh, thing for me, but mostly about self-confidence and that I think we doubt ourselves the most that we can't do something or someone's better. Someone's funnier. Someone's better looking, but, Oh, please welcome know. to my therapy sessions. <laughs> I mean, that, that's the major topic. And look, you hear that as a through line with any great entrepreneur who has attained some things is, is it's like, it's a mixture of ability and insight and smarts. And also like this weird blinders mentality and ability in which to turn off that self-doubt that most of us are fucking governed yeah. by. And, and, you know, in the internet trolls are a big thing. And in the beginning they would, it would make me nauseous. I actually was so stressed out and, you know, nasty thing. People will always say nasty things. And it's so funny. Uh, a lot of my writers now, it's funny. I'm coaching them through the nasty comments will always be there, but you know, Taking feedback is hugely critical. And when we mess up, my, my biggest blog post of all time, I got a million views and hours, was when I called the United Airlines dragging off the plane that Dr. Dow. I came into this office and I read the reports. I'm like, oh, that guy, the passenger. I kind of blamed the passenger. I was like, you know, when the captain tells you to get off, you just got to get off. Right. I didn't look into all the details and I totally got it wrong. And the Pitchfork Mafia on Twitter came after me, and it, I, I totally realized instantly, oh, wait a minute, let me... And then I looked into the details, and it's like, no, it wasn't this simple, like, they asked him to get off, and he said no. Um, but I wrote a blog post right away just saying, I got it wrong. You know, I was so wrong, because sure. this is actually pro... You know, and we're pro-passenger, that's the thing. We're not paid by airlines. We don't take a cent from the airlines, from the hotels. Like, we are pro-consumer. Like, we're pro-traveler. So it was, it was just such a weird thing for me. I'm like, I really got that wrong. But calling it out and calling myself out, um, people, you know, then I turned that into something that was good. People, I think, especially this was 2016 and, you know, there's an inability, I think, in our politics and press to admit mistakes. And I think people found that refreshing that I just was like, you know what? I was totally freaking wrong. Zero ways about it. And, um, 
So yeah, tur- yeah, it humanizes yeah. you. And I think we people inherently appreciate that too because we do live in an age of like, I'm right, I know I'm right in the immediate and people are so staunch on their beliefs. And you just got to dig in and no matter what. Yeah. yeah, and people I mean is even up to the highest leadership in the land. It's mm-hmm. like people's inability in which to ever admit the slightest right. uh, misstep. Um and by the way, what happened to that doctor was completely awful. But however, a couple millions he got for that—that that yeah. was a, that was a worthwhile experience. Yeah, you haven't heard a peep out of him, so I'm pretty sure that uh, that he that he did pretty well. Um, and uh, so, where where are you from? So I was I was born in Long Island, and then when I was hold on one second, let me just no worries, take your time. They can come in. No, they're going to be so noisy. Okay. Get out of here. Perfect. So I was born. Uh, so I was born in Long Island, and then what part? I was born in Manhasset, and then grew up in Blue Point, like next to Sayville, like way out in I Long Island. You know, I, I'm, I'm a New Yorker native, and from the city, and I, I have friends, and so I know so many people from Long Island. Yeah. And no matter what, I'll be like, "What part?" And yeah. they'll bring up some fucking <laughs> part of Long Island I have never heard of. Yeah, there's no, so many towns. Yeah. So, so I, but I grew up mostly outside of Philly. So I in the, grew up out in Doylestown, the Philly suburbs. Um, and then, you know, went to college in Pittsburgh and then moved right away. I always knew New York was where I was meant to be. I grew up in suburbia and I was like strip malls and chain restaurants. I love them, but I'm like, this life isn't for me. I like, yeah. I want to go to the big city. Did you do any traveling as a kid? Not really. I mean, I learned about points in the nineties. So my dad got a job at a startup and I started booking all of his travel. Cause I was like a computer whiz when I was 12. Mm. And one day he's like, we have all these frequent flyer miles. So I, uh, use them to book our family to the Caribbean. So every every winter we would spend a week in the Cayman Islands or Barbados for free on my dad's point. So it sucked that he like missed my basketball games and birthdays because he had to travel a lot. But we turned his points into you know this amazing family bonding trip once a year. Oh shit! Oh shit! We got another ad for y'all. So let's get crazy and let's hear it. Because this podcast has advertisements because we're doing well, no matter what you've heard. Anyway, what would it look like if we all listened more? Listening to audiobooks inspires us. It motivates us. Dare I say, it even brings us closer. And there's no better place to listen than Audible. You can get your first audiobook for free along with two selected Audible original titles and exclusive fitness programs when you start a 30-day trial. I, I love Audible. I love being able to listen and learn while I'm working out or driving or what have you. I recently listened to David Goggins' new book, and the man is just so much tougher and uh, just, he's, he's just a better person than me. But it gives me a goal and something to work for. And you know what? That is awesome. So you can get started with a 30-day trial. Just go to audible.com slash curious or text curious to 500-500 and listen for a change. That's audible.com slash curious or text curious to 500-500. 
I, I always um, use this example, and I've, I I love Howard Stern. And I, I interestingly, I just interviewed uh, Vincent D'Onofrio, who echoed the same experience. Whereas Howard Stern's father was in radio, and so he's like, of course I went into radio because it was a way to be heard. And D'Onofrio's father was in the arts, and he wanted to be an actor. Do you find that weirdly you've mirrored your father's? Oh, totally. Path? I call him the original points guy. So his name is also Brian Kelly. He's okay. the third son of three boys and a girl. I'm the third son of three boys and a girl irish? I idolize irish love it my uh, wife he's irish. six three i'm six seven i idolized him as a kid and yeah when i look at it now i'm like it, it makes sense like he was you know i i learned all i know about points when i was a 12 year old in the 90s like how random is that and now it's my career so he set me up for this amazing even he had no idea you know but he gave me really sage advice he you know when i when i first started the blog i tried to my business model was totally different it was people would pay me 50 bucks and i would tell them how to use their points right so i would blog to get clients that i would then charge 50 dollars. so i was making like a couple hundred then a thousand bucks a month but i was running this like really half-assed travel agency Janky on the side. Janky, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And my dad's like, dude, you got to learn how to make money in your sleep. And I was like, come on, dad. And he's like, you got to get advertising and build an audience. You know, instead of teaching one person how to use their points, what about teaching millions? And I was like, dad, you're crazy. What do you know? You know, he's in pharmaceutical uh, sales or in the healthcare industry. And, but it was so totally right. I mean, totally, he guided me into points in the nineties and then really pushed me to monetize in a different way. And he's not in digital publishing. So I think that's one tip. You can get amazing advice. A lot of times we're so myopic and let me go to the most successful CEO of a business to give me the business advice I need. But yes. in fact, some of the best advice you can get is all around you. And it's opening your mind up and realizing um, and just like that old coworker that I worked with, she changed my life. I would not have started the blog. I was, I'm a lazy procrastinator deep down. And I, you know, I had, you know, I was crippled with choice and do, is it an LLC or an S corp? And, you know, you can bog yourself down in all the details and, you know, random people can totally change your life. So always, always keep your, you know, the people you think are going to get you to the next level are often not. They're all around you. Yeah. I mean, you inevitably, you don't know who your apostles will be until you've been able to sort of, uh, they, to testify that they've been, you've been through the tribulation and you're yep. in the trial and you're able to sort of think back and incorporate this old yep. advice that was given to you. And so what was the, what was the moment of no return? When did you leave the big fancy expense account and say, I'm going out yeah. on my own? So it was, so I started the blog June of 2010. Um, I had about 15, 20,000 monthly readers by that fall. I had written a couple deals um, that kind of went viral, um, but it's still a relatively small blog following. But it, the turning point was that spring, a friend of mine from college, um, he kept asking to hang out and I thought he wanted to go on a date with me and I wasn't interested and I kept putting him off for like months. And finally he was like, Brian, you are an idiot. He's like, you're blogging about credit cards and did you know I work for a company in affiliate marketing? I had no idea what that was. It sounded spammy to me. Yeah, what is that? Affiliate marketing is simply the sending leads through, through your website. Um, you know, fashion bloggers, if you click a link to buy a pair of jeans, they get a cut, right? It's an gotcha. Amazon link. It's, hey, use my Uber link and I get credit. That's Love affiliate it. marketing, right? Oh, I do that. Yeah. So <laughs> I was like, what are you talking? He's like, meet me for a drink. And, and he got me, he told me all about it. And, and basically, I was blogging on a gold mine. I was blogging about credit cards, direct linking to 
americanexpress.com, chase.com, because that, that's the best for my reader. And he's like, the same exact offer and link, I'll give you a link through our system and you'll get $100 a credit card. And I was like, wait a minute, you know, I've got like 30,000 readers at this point. And even if a couple get $100 a credit card, it's like not bad. 10 of them, get, that's a thousand bucks. And I've got 30,000 readers. It's good money. And it pretty much went that way. The first month I made five grand by simply just writing the same stuff I was writing anyway, but just replacing it with the link. And then that April was the, the day my life changed was uh, the New York Times, Seth Kugel, the, the frugal traveler. He had emailed me and it went into my spam email box for six weeks. I was randomly going through my spam box and I say, oh my God, the New York Times. And I hadn't really had much, no national press at that point. And he's like, yeah, I've heard about you points guy, but I don't think points are good for uh, frugal travelers, budget travelers. And I'm like, oh, you have no idea. So I emailed him met with him for three hours, changed the way he thought about points. He booked a trip that day that saved him $2,000, and he was just blown away, total points addict. So he ended up writing this amazing story, my first big piece about the points guy, on the same day that there was this 100,000-point offer on this Chase British Airways card, way before the 100,000 Chase Sapphire. This was 2011. And basically, so I had the links, and my content, I wrote, this is why the Chase... British Airways card, never use it on British Airways. There were all these amazing ways to use British Airways. I mean, you could get like 40 free flights. It was crazy. Wow. But I basically broke it down for consumers. Like, this is how you do it. Step by step, picture by picture. And bam, the post went viral. And the same day that offer went live, the New York Times article hit. So my traffic just shoots through the roof. Meanwhile, I see the clicks because that's how you, you judge. I only get paid if someone gets approved for a credit card. So you never know really what your pay is going to be until the credit card yeah, company you got to hope you. that credit score is well, 700 and above. And <laughs> so, but meanwhile, I'm sitting there in my apartment. I'd taken off work because so I was like, I know this is going to be huge. And, it, and then the New York Times article hits and my traffic's through the roof. And our click, you know, clicks to that credit card were 1,000, 2,000. And I'm like starting to do the math. And I'm like, if only... 2% of these convert, like it became crazy. Huge. And, and that day, I think I cleared $100,000 in actual sales once they started coming in the next couple of days. And I'm like, oh my God. Oh, you're like, I quit. Granted, it was like, the crazy thing is there was like a three month delay until you actually see that money. So I actually quit my job that day. My mom was like, are you insane? Like, this is funny money. It's not real money, you know, in a of computer course. system. I'm like, but yeah, mom, it's like a, it's like a legit company. It's Amex, like, you know, and Chase. Yeah, and it's luckily, coming. They loaned me 10 grand and my, and my mom was like, what are you going to do about health benefits? And I'm like, I'm rich, mom. I'll pay for it. <laughs> don't worry but about it. Can you it. loan me $10,000? Because I don't know if the check's actually going to clear. But lo and behold, uh, I quit June of one year from the day of my first blog post. And um, I was traveling later that month in Spain. And I remember, I'll never forget the the day the chase alert came, that the direct deposit came, that the, the money was real. It's and real. I, just, I sat there just staring at my phone. Like I'd never, you know, I made six seventy thousand 70,000 a year working at Morgan Stanley, hustling my ass off. And I started to make six figures a month. And it was just like, here we go. So then I started hiring some people to help me because I couldn't do it all myself. But it and then in, in May of 2012, a company came along and, and bought it. For So it's been a wild, wild ride. And I, the crazy thing is I still feel like we're just getting started. Like there's so much more to do. It's so funny too, like, because I started making money from social media in, in 2014. And until then, I had been sort of at the, uh, the mercy of this crazy business that you have no control over. And if the casting director is in a bad mood that day, you might be best suited for the role, but you ain't getting it because mm -hmm. they don't like you <laughs> yeah. because there was too much traffic on the 405 or yeah. their latte wasn't it's... fucking right. Yeah. And 
And I remember we were, I had become pretty big on Vine and social media. And this company reached out over email and they said, we're going to pay you $6,000 to put up this video. You can delete it in a week. It's six seconds. And that's it. It'll be in your PayPal account the moment you post. And it was such a leap for me. Because <laughs> I'm like, I don't even have a PayPal account. Yeah. I don't know what that is. Yeah. And I'm like, this sounds every, like, all they would have had to include was, I'm a Nigerian prince. <laughs> and I would have been like, this is fake. But lo and behold, I'm like, well, I'll post it. And if they don't pay me, you know, I'll delete it right away. And I saw that PayPal hit and I, it was a whole new world. Yeah, it was crazy. a whole new world. Yep. I mean, that's what I, you, you hit it right on the head. The de democratization of fame and influence, you know, out of the hands of casting directors. I can't tell you how many times, you know, I've gone the opposite. I, you know, originally I thought I have to get a TV show. That's, you know, because that's how you do it. Most people get a TV show, then sure. they get picked up. And for me, you know, I was already making money. And then I was like, to take all that time away to do a show for a net, you know, so, but I kept telling myself in the beginning, though, well, that's the way to do it. To and legitimize. If I'm not rep by UTA, and I remember going into UTA's offices in 2012, and, you know, I'm like, oh, I'm making a lot of money. And they're like, well, we don't really get what you're doing. We don't, you know, you're not the typical actor. How are we going to you know, monetize you. And I remember getting rejected. I was making money, but I still felt like I had to be accepted into, you know, having a manager tell me how to manage my business. Welcome well, guess to what? my life. I ended up creating my own business, managing it. And, you know, people were, were always like, you know, one day you might be the editor in chief of travel and leisure. You know what? I just hired the head of social media from travel leisure, the head of video, you know, like you couldn't pay me. We have more reach now, not to brag, but kind of no, to brag. brag, it up. brag that <laughs> you know, shit. but it's, it's, all these people who, you know, in the traditional world that try to put you into a box. And, um, I think that's it, so right. You got to thrive off of, you know, creating your own, you know, it's nervous that in between space, you know, no one has ever done really what I've done. I don't have a lot of contemporaries and peers, you know, there's certainly bloggers out there, but no one really in this points credit card world who's kind of taken a business to where it is. So, on the same hand that it's exciting and new and every day, you know, you have the ability to shift where your business is going to go. But on the other hand, it's really frightening. It's kind of nice to sit around the water cooler with like a peer and be like, you know, bitch about, you know, yeah. what's going on at work. And, and, you know, especially when you're an entrepreneur and have all employees to then take care of, you know, it, the stress starts to mount, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't give it up for anything. I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be, which is a cool feeling. I think that's so right. And I, I too, and, and because we grew up and, and we talked about you're 35, I'm 31. So we're sort of at like the tail end of, of what would be a qualified as a, as a millennial. You're, you're a pretty firm millennial. <laughs> I get And then, uh, but then like, what are people under 25? Is that Gen Z? Yeah. I think that's what they call it. That's different. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. But I know what you mean because especially for me, right. I was so indoctrinated with traditional TV and movies. And then there was a, a renaissance over the last couple of years where it said, well, no, that's not, that's not the way anymore. Mm -hmm. And with Netflix and social media and what have you, like people aren't as incentivized yeah. to go to the movies. And if they do, they just want to see massive tentpole superhero mm -hmm. movies that I can't get in. Yeah. Um, but, you know, inevitably I too, it's like, it's reconciling that old story, that ego that says, oh, I've got to fit into their standard mm -hmm. yep. or accepting the fact that you've trailblazed yeah. your own course. Yeah. And I think that's everything. It's cool. No, I mean, this modern, you know, this economy that we're in and where that can be possible. I mean, I look around this office and like, you know, it, it all really, this this sat in my brain for a year 
you know, caged in by self-doubt. And it's, thank God I opened up that box and slowly over time it's grown. And, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I just think of so many people who have the same story. And, and to be honest, you can you know, America is in an interesting place, I think, in terms of politics. But America is an amazing country where this type of stuff happens uh, with way more regularity than any other country. And it is such a breeding ground for creativity and new platforms and, you know, being in the media space now and just looking ahead at how, you know, even within the last 18 months, Facebook for my business and how we were so focused on building up our Facebook likes. And then out of nowhere now, it's our private Facebook group is really where a ton of action's coming from. And, mm. you know, new new platforms, you know, the website Flipboard, which is an amazing aggregator of news, is one of our top traffic drivers all within the last four months. Now we get hundreds of thousands of new readers because people are aggregating their news on Flipboard and it curates the news for people and just so happens that a lot of people want the, the Point Sky post. So we're reaching new audiences and, and you know, digital media is in a really interesting place. A lot of websites don't know how to make money and traditional media print magazines are in a you know, weird place. But a spiral. For innovative people, there's so many ways to make money and sometimes it, it it might put you out of, out of your comfort zone, and uh, but the ability to do that I think is amazing. Are you constantly? Is it like a daily thing where you're investigating new places, like um, like the Flipbook? You were saying like yep. uh, different places where you can best utilize your your imprint. Absolutely, yeah. Flip, you know, channels, you know, Pinterest, we haven't paid attention to for a long time. I mean, it's almost like so many channels. Like for, you know, we're huge with business travelers, but we have no LinkedIn presence. You know, I have my own LinkedIn profile from pre-TPG days that I think I had an intern on my social media team zhuzh up one day a couple of years ago and I have more requests than I can handle, but like that's a huge opportunity sitting right in front of my face. Podcasting, I I've had it on my to-do list for years. I mean, there's so much to talk about in travel, and there's not tons of travel podcasts and points. And, you know, a podcast that will actually teach you how to use points, I think, is yes. really cool. There's a bunch of travel podcasts. So now it's um, it's almost overwhelming. The different, you know, Quora for answering questions is an amazing resource, and there's a huge gap there for travel experts. And they've asked me to, you know, come on. and But I'm, like, so many hours in the day, you know, do you, you want to be really good at certain platforms, right? Obviously, the blog, the site. We kill, you know, I'm, I, I'm so focused on having talent and the best writers that, you know, distributing that information then becomes a challenge, but it's, you know, it's, it's a great problem to have. Did you, uh, on your way to creating this thing, did you cite any of those? I mean, like not Tony Robbins, but like any of those, uh, what CEO whisper types, like read any of those books? I never or? read the four hour work week or any of those. I, you know, uh, I, you know, I respect, I met Tony Robbins once offset at a TV thing and he was shocked. He's really, he's like six, five and I'm six, seven. So I was kind of, yeah. What's up, Tony? Up. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I, I respect that people get a lot of inspiration from them. You know, my inspiration, um, doesn't really come from the business world. I'd work with uh, Nobel peace prize winners. So I'm a huge anti-war person. I don't believe, you know, I, as you travel, you realize war screws up everything. Uh, it's the root cause of so many issues from poverty, um, public health crises. So I, I work, I have the ability to, through this organization called Peace Jam, work with 14 of the world's most incredible Nobel Peace Prize winners, um, Desmond Tutu, the Dalai Lama, Lema Bowie, these really powerful women who literally have helped end civil wars. Like, so I draw strength from 
the stories of these people who truly have changed the world in incredibly meaningful ways. And it really, not to put down my experience, but it really puts things in perspective. And I think it's very important to surround yourself, especially, you know, I went from having no money to a lot of money. Surround yourself with people who have done way bigger things than you. And that's so true in that you are the sum of the people you hang out with. And if you, I went through a phase of success in the beginning of hanging out with people who wanted to use me for the wrong reasons. And, it, you know, I think a lot of people who experience success will have that situation. But now I, I, I look to heroes, right? And even though I'll never help end a civil war and, um, you know, I'll never go through the struggles they have, I, every time I listen to every word they say and I shift it, into my own life because um so yeah it's so it's good i mean that's just and that's old age old just good spirituality mm -hmm. right is somehow finding something bigger than just when we get bogged down in yeah. our and i i firmly so philanthropy is a huge part of the point sky we donate a lot of money and our time and and millions of our frequent flyer miles to different organizations and i there is a direct correlation between the more we started to give back as a company and get our employees engaged in giving back, the more the business has grown. So I would encourage anyone out there, especially people who achieve success relatively quickly, immediately immerse yourself in something that is way above you, right? Because the pressure of success can get to you very quickly and you know, monetary wealth can be, you know, it's an intoxicating. Fix. Yeah, yeah, it can be intoxicating, but it can throw totally throw you off and, you know. And what I'll say about philanthropy is it doesn't have to be going to a, you know, necessarily a, a food shelter and doing something you really hate doing, but you do it to give back. Like you can find things that are incredibly meaningful. Like I go on these trips, I go to Ghana six times, I've been seven times in the last couple of years. And now I, we have this huge network of kids that we're working with through Peace Jam. And I learned more from these kids. I have so much fun. I have family there now. You know, they made me a, a chief and, and, the development chief of Odumase Krovo, which was totally surreal to me as a way of saying thank you. And it has expanded my life. And it's amazing. It's enjoyable. You can look forward to doing it. So I, I think of it kind of like entrepreneurship, though. Finding the charity, or I hate even saying the word charity, finding the organization to give back or the people to work with is very difficult. But once you find what you really have a passion for doing, it's, you know, it's, it'll enrich your life in ways that then more than any paycheck can. What's up, my babies? We just got a quick advertisement, and then we're going to get back to this like incredible conversation. I'm having a great time, aren't you? Cool. Let's do it. Robin Hood. Yeah. It's an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos, all commission-free. And you know what they strive? What do they strive for? To make financial services work for everyone, not just the wealthy, those wealthy knuckleheads. They've got non-intimidating ways for stock market newcomers to invest for the first time with true confidence. And, you know, other brokerages, they charge up to $10 for every trade, but Robinhood doesn't charge commission. Yeah, no commission fees, trade stocks, and keep all of your profits. Plus, it's easy to understand. They've got like charts and market data that's super simple. Place a trade in just four taps on your smartphone, and you can learn how to invest as you build your portfolio. So Robinhood is giving listeners a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help build your portfolio. Sign up at Curious.Robinhood.com. That's Curious.Robinhood.com. 
what what part of the world have you been to and that where you have seen it affected by by something like war or what have you or um bad diplomacy where you were like god like this is you know we live here yeah. sort of uh without an, an awareness of yeah. what our actions well, the result of I'm it. A, I'm a huge scuba diver. I love, I mean, if I can encourage people to, a lot of people say, oh, I'm nervous and scuba diving and breathing. It is, you definitely do want to take a course to do it, but you know, most of the world is covered in water. So if you never really explore the underwater world and, and granted scuba diving, you're only going to go down a hundred feet. So you're not even going to really see, but experiencing the underwater world is like nothing spiritual. It's, it's, you meditate, you're one with nature, you know, sharks are not our enemy. You realize sharks don't give a crap about people. Uh, uh, I don't know about all that. Well, that's not how they portray it on Shark I Week. Well, Jesus. That's the problem with our media. But, <laughs> yeah, um, I tell you. But anyway, so throughout Southeast Asia, there's, you know, especially in Bali, so much trash and a lot of, um, through misinformation, a lot of fishermen uh, use dynamite on reefs to kill fish, which then inadvertently destroys entire ecosystems. And it's, so, you know, the overfishing of areas that really, you know, screws the entire ecosystem like that to me, that's everywhere. I mean, that's in the United States, you know, and as a country, you know, we produce tons and tons of trash. So I think environmentally, as I travel, you realize like the world is all interconnected. We're one world. We're all sharing the same air. And um, so, yeah, that's what I would say is, I mean, there's, I'm just an optimist. So you can go a lot of different places and, um you know, people will criticize our charity work and that, oh, because we're not feeding people that, you know, educating kids through Nobel Peace Prize, it's not substantial enough. You know, you're not putting a roof over people's head or getting them clean water, but you can always think things are, are worse somewhere or better somewhere, but it's... Right, and what are those people doing? Uh, exactly. No, and you're planting people the People who take the time and... to criticize me about doing enough or not enough charity is... Uh, yeah, that's rough. always very rich, you know. And... So in starting the company, what was there, can you point out maybe one moment in particular where you felt like it was a real sort of crossroads moment or a time in which you were truly tested and you came through it, you know, for, for the better? Well, the big thing was hiring other writers to write under my name, right? It, this, the site was mine. It was, and it was, you know, management 101. I mean, to expand your business, you're always going to have to hire other people, right? You have to hire good people that you trust. And um, I made a ton of mistakes. It's funny because I came from HR and recruitment. And I think a lot, I used a lot of those skills, but a lot of, you know, big, big time mistakes. I hired uh, too few people. I think that my biggest thing is over time, I was burning my employees out left and right. And um, I think trying to do too much myself, I was burnt out for a while, especially after I sold the company. It was very difficult to you know, reconcile that I was now a part of this publicly traded company. You know, I had left right. and Morgan Stanley to pursue this freedom, and then now I'm a part of this big, but... And when you're getting acquired, they come in and oh, it's rip the most everything stressful. apart, yeah, right? Due diligence. So every single dollar you've ever spent, and they talk to all your clients, they try to sniff for any bullshit that you're hiding. And, you know, for me, it was very quick. It was only six a six-week turnaround from the time they said they want to buy to the time we closed. But, I mean wasn't sleeping, was probably drinking a little bit too much to like, you know, that's the easiest way. A lot of times you don't even realize it, but you know, let's meet for martinis and you know, yeah, you it, needed there that were medicine. Times when I'm like, yeah. I mean, I, for sure, especially when traveling now, I mean, I still, it's, it's a struggle to, you know, as much as I love traveling, it's also the one thing that like, you know, can really screw with your body and uh, really relationships screw. and it's hard to 
date people when you're like, okay, great, I'll see you in four weeks when I'm back, you know, so it's, it's it, you know, people may see my life on Instagram and first class and amazing, organiz- you know, amazing vacations and stuff, but like any story, you know, and, and on social media, there's, there's a lot more that goes into it, I, you know, and of course I'm not going to air all my dirty laundry. <laughs> well, feel free. But that's what we're here for. But, but that brings me to my next question, because to be honest, and, and I love following you, and I'm not one of those people that watches your Instagram and sees you on these flights, because I'm such a neurotic Jew myself. Like, I get... I project myself. I put myself in your shoes, and and as fabulous. Well, you literally did with your TPG shower test in Cancun. That was hysterical. Come on, <laughs> I mean, I feel like I'm part of the family. That here. was amazing. Um, but I know for me, what traveling, you know, that I get uncomfortable, and it's hard to be away and out of my comfort zone and whatnot. So I'm fascinated. Like, does it get lonely? Are you know, are there moments where you're like, is this really yeah. everything it's cracked up to be? For sure. No, I mean, I. I luckily enough am able now. Wait, I'm sorry. Yeah. How many days you gone a year first? It's a great to question. To give people an I idea. I think I travel. It depends on the year, but if I travel at least probably around four months, three to four months, maybe a little bit less now. That, but you know, it's like June of this year. I was gone for three weeks across Europe and and Africa, and you know, twenty three days away. It was actually a little over three weeks. I mean, it's long. It's like I have a dog. I have this. It's you know, it's. It, uh, it definitely gets, it can get lonely, but it's also so, I mean, I really do, a, I pinch myself every day that this is the life I get to live and I'm not going to, you know, it is what it is kind of you, but you know, balance is important. And, and when you realize, okay, it, it gets really old sleeping in hotel beds, then there is no hotel bed in the world and the nicest suite of the craziest Dubai, Dubai penthouse. That's nicer than my bed at home. Right. Of course. So but that being said, I'm a nomad deep down. Like when you came in today, I'm booking a trip to Palau to go scuba diving over. And I love that. For me, booking travel and using points, it's like a crossword puzzle. You know, and for people who don't know about points, it's, I mean, to sit down, I've got all these different points and how can I fly the best flights? You know, you, you start researching the planes and the, for maximum comfort. And, you know, when you complete a trip and you can use it on points and first class for, I mean, I literally spend hundred dollars for flights that are ten thousand dollars um that's i still get a rush from that so and you book your own travel now you don't have well well, i mean i have my my assistant adam is basically the points guy i'll be he'll i don't call airlines you know he'll do all the nitty-gritty when it takes time but but no i also get on the computer i need to be up to speed like and that was a hard thing because i've you know coins in my bank account i don't necessarily have to use points but on principle like no i use points because who wants to burn money, right? And to be yeah, true to the brand. It's like, not the full price guy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, I will splurge on some, you know, our readers will call me out and be like, okay, that was a really expensive hotel. And I like the nice things in life. I'm not going to lie. And when I can get free flights, uh, I'm going to use my money to, to have the best experiences and rent a boat with friends and go diving and stuff. So I'm definitely not a budget traveler, but I still thrive on getting an amazing deal. Do you can because I follow a few of the of the nomads as you said the professional nomads could you like distill down a, a common trait amongst all of them because like I watch you and and this is no BS like I can see you have a full good like you seem happy and really full but some of these guys I follow they seem like they live in an airport mm-hmm. and and they 
and four months is kid stuff to them. Yeah. Like they'd be gone yeah. 11 and a half months yeah. a year if they could. Well, that's the thing. I'm not, I mean, I do think a lot of people are running away from something and some people, not everyone is running away from something, but you can, it's, I know a lot of people, a lot of the nomads and a lot of them are kind of, it's almost like an addiction. Like once you start traveling and then you lose your friends at home, kind of, cause you're not there yeah, you and can't then participate, uh, you just keep going with it. And I think there is a drug to, you know, that stimulation, like travel is a stimulant, right? Like the new, uh, you know, visually, you know, all, travel stimulates all your senses. So, you know, just to keep going is easier than to stop. Right. So, uh, I do think a lot of the nomads are happy, but almost all of them want to stop at a certain point. And I saw early on, I mean, and the four months that I travel, it's interspersed, right? I'm, I'm here in New York. Um, I have a huge family, spend time with them, but, um, but yeah, it's, 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 I'm, oh, I have to have a trip book and I know there's a, there, there must be a genetic jinx. I know a lot of people that are like get anxiety if there's not a trip on the books, like it's right. You know, uh, and I, you spoke about this recently, fearful moments while flying, scary turbulence moments where you're talking to God. Yep. There's only been two. So one was, uh, before I started the blog, I was flying from Toronto to LaGuardia in January on a dark stormy night and, uh, bumping, bumping up and down the, you could hear the, the toilet seat going, ba -bum, ba -bum, ba -bum, where everyone's kind of white knuckling it. And then we had two aborted landings at LaGuardia, which is, you know, is on the water. Couldn't even see the ground. Jeez. The kicker was I was sitting next to an air Canada pilot who goes, off duty, obviously. And he goes, Oh, this pilot has no idea what he's doing right now. We're flying with our flaps up when they should be down. And I'm just like, it was the first time in my life. I was like, I'm dying. I'm like, I'd never had the feeling of I'm actually going to die to aborted land. I mean, drenched in sweat. Um, and then another one was a couple years ago. I was flying from the Hamptons on a seaplane because I have a house in, in the Hamptons and you know, so much traffic. So there's this new service that, you know, you can helicopter a seaplane and, there was a huge storm cloud rolling into Manhattan, and my friends were like, don't get on that seaplane. And I was cocky, and I was like, oh, they would never put me on a plane if it was dangerous. And it's beautiful in Long Island, and as we come up, we see the Statue of Liberty, and there's this monster rain cloud. And we go into it and just start popping up and down. I had my dog in my arms, and he's such a badass flyer. He was actually licking inside my elbow to calm me. Oh and we ended up having to do God. an emergency landing in Linden, New Jersey and shaking. And I got out, got in an Uber. I was like, I'm not. They're like, do you Done. want to try to fly back into this? I'm like, hell no. So, Oh, my God. But those my are the two times. Luckily, knock on wood, I haven't had too many. And I've you know, flown hundreds and hundreds of flights. And for nervous flyers out there, flying is way safer than driving by a, a factor of many. So You're talking to my mom, by the way. I know. There's so many nervous <laughs> flyers out there. It's like one of my top questions. I, you know, I... She's terrified, and not only that, sometimes she'll take like you know a little something on the plane yeah, to like yeah. calm her nerves. But somehow it never kicks in until we land, <sighs> and then she'll be like asleep. Well, like, that's a great thing. You put, my mom did the same thing. We were in Doha, and she almost got on the wrong flight. She was trying to board the Chicago flight. I turn around, I'm like, Mom, get over here. You're not going to Chicago. Never take it before you take off, though. So a lot of people will take it, and the flights are always going to get delayed. I did that once, my first time doing that. I take it. And the flight gets delayed and the, the last passenger comes on and it's Madonna. And she was seated right in front of me and we're in first class. And I was like, 
oh my god, I need to stay awake to see her antics because she was being a diva. And of course. So I'm like in the zombie mode. But yeah, always wait till you're off the ground before you, you take the sleeping pill. And always try them at home first. So many people will try sleeping pills or take on their the friends plane. on a plane and you add in some alcohol. And that's those are the stories when you hear people you know, pulling down their pants and like... Full Kristen Wiig yes. moment. So always try it at home and do not pair with alcohol. Uh, crazy stories on the planes. Like I'm talking, seeing people on some, uh, well, I, it's funny. I've never told this story, but years ago I flew with Danny DeVito and that, all right, enough and, said, let's do this. <laughs> I'm in. He was fun. He was my seatmate. Really nice guy. Introduced me, introduced himself in the lounge and my dog, Miles was a puppy and, uh, and, and Danny, you know, we take off right away. We're flying United and, and on, <laughs> on takeoff, he just gets up out of his seat and he's, like opening up the overhead bin to get something out. And I'm like waiting for the flight attendants to scream, you know? Sure. But they've, they didn't say anything because it's Danny DeVito. I guess they were starstruck. But they couldn't believe he could reach right. the bins. Well, he actually had to stand up on the thing to reach it. That's I mean, awesome. And um, yeah, he uh, he's a ladies man. That's all I can say. He he definitely made a lot of friends in the cabin. And, and then he does this thing with his foot where he does a, what is it, club foot or something? He does a selfie with his foot in the air. Like he'll be at the Academy Awards and put his bare foot up and take a selfie. Oh so he my did that with God. my dog and, and Miles starts licking his like gnarly toenail and I had to take my dog back. But Danny was a very nice guy. <laughs> All right. So Danny DeVito might or might not have joined the Mile High Club. <laughs> <laughs> no, not uh, no. quite. Um, well, I don't know. You never know. Is there anything, what are, what are, you know, I, I've seen sort of how how incredible flights have become and how beautiful the cabins can be. What are airlines still getting wrong? Um, I think airlines are getting wrong the well, first the coach experience. So basically, airlines Awful. are making lavatories smaller, seats really you know cramped. I mean, it's terrible in the back of the plane. In the front of the plane, it's amazing. It's like the golden age of flying is now. With you know, I take showers in the sky, caviar. Um, and, and that's why I, I tell people, you know, like use your points because it doesn't have to be horrible. That being said, I think consumers are to blame that most people don't care about the actual comfort of the cabin. So airlines who put really nice things in coach like JetBlue aren't seeing the ROI, right? Cause people just book the cheapest flight. Sure. So, the, you know, consumers want the cheapest out absolute flight. So we can't be surprised that the airlines are going to give us the cheapest absolute product. So. Uh, I also think in the U.S. airlines get service really wrong um, in terms of, you know, when you fly Asian and Middle Eastern carriers, there's a huge emphasis on cabin crew to be nice and to serve you. And in the U.S., it's, you know, you're going to get cranky. Not all the time. There's plenty of really amazing U.S.-based flight attendants, but I'm only here for your safety. Get yourself a soda. You know, there's a whole <laughs> right. culture of that, I think, on a lot of U.S. carriers that... Uh, I would love to see turn around. You can just see some people who are like waiting to get their like they've gotten their tenure on the on for the airline oh, yeah. and they've got like three years left to retirement. They're yeah. like, you're not getting in the way of me and Palm Beach oh, yeah. or wherever no, they're gonna. I mean, there are people with like sixty years of service. It's crazy. But uh, and uh, what's your what's your favorite airline? I really really like Emirates. Um, you know, the A380 is my favorite aircraft. It's the largest passenger aircraft. And the, here's a tip. The bigger the aircraft, the less turbulence you feel. So, and the A380 is also the quietest. So certain planes, this is why like as an expert traveler, like choosing the right planes can make all the difference. You fly an old, loud 777. I mean, it will rattle your ears. I'm so used to flying on these new, smooth and quiet planes now. Whenever I fly on 
old planes, long distance, I'm like, this is literally scrambling my brain. Um, so yeah, the A380 and Emirates has over a hundred of them and they have the showers in first class. Yeah, that doesn't suck. It's a little gaudy, but, um, Singapore (laughs) airlines is a close second though. Singapore is a, you know, unbelievable service and just, I mean, the Singapore girls, that's what they call their flight attendants with their, they're not saris. I forget what they're called, but beautiful dresses. And you know, the whole experience is very, very, uh, yeah, Chic. the the accoutrement. Yes. All right. So, like, last two questions for uh, for anyone who's like novice travel person out there. Um, what I mean, could you distill like, if you had to give like a quick two minute essential tenets of you know travel hacks, point utilization, or is it just go to thepointsguide.com dot com and yeah. you'll get? Well, I mean, certainly go to thepointsguide.com. dot com. We've got a whole I, beginner's guide that will bring you through exactly what you need to know. but Because it's intimidating. It's intimidating. I'll be honest. I'm intimidated. And we're working on our app right now. It's going to, we're working on what we're calling a points PhD program, which will take you through modules from zero to like, you know, it might take you a couple months to work through it. But, um, but basically the bottom line in the U S credit cards are the way to get points. They're not really frequent flyer programs anymore. So get yourself a credit card, pay it off in full every month. If you're in credit card debt, don't get a points credit card. Focus, number one, on just getting yourself to a place of being able to pay your bills. Because if you're paying interest, even if you're getting points, you're negating the value of any of those points. But that being said, if you understand your credit score, the biggest factors of your credit score are do you pay your bills on time and how much available credit do you have versus how much debt. So that's the ratio, debt utilization or credit utilization ratio. So basically the more credit cards you have and the less you pay off them in full, your score will go up. So if you manage your cards and pay them off in full every month, you're earning points, avoiding interest, and that's how you win the game. Um, and then there's, you know, sign up bonuses for credit cards are really rich, 50, 60, 70, up to a hundred, some thousand points. And so you can get a couple new credit cards a year with these really rich bonuses, and that pays for your travel. So, but can you cancel them after? Yeah, you can cancel. I heard you that's can, bad though. You, to I wouldn't recommend cards. canceling a credit card. What you can do is, you can, if it has an annual fee, you can ask them to waive it or give you a, a bonus, or you can downgrade that card to a no annual fee version, so that you're not getting an annual fee. You keep the credit account open, so you have that available credit. Um, but you know, I would say in general, the cards that give you the most value are ones that have annual fees. So. Right. Um, you know, getting a card that gives you double, triple, quadruple, 5x points. The goal is every single dollar you spend, try to maximize it. So use different credit cards for different purchases to get more. It sounds really dizzying, but once you get the hang of it and you're all of a sudden even double points on a bunch of categories, you're earning on your everyday spend, you know, an extra free ticket or two per year. Um, all right. Last question. Can you give a a travel rant to the things that annoy you about people like going through security. Cause like sometimes, and I'm not even a professional traveler, but I want to be like, dude, how are you going to wear hiking boots, like knee high hiking boots to the airport? It's going to take you 11 minutes to get those off and back on going through security. Yeah. So security line, you know, if you have pre TSA pre-check, know the rules, man. Like, you know, you don't have to take off your shoes and, uh, you know, just understand the rules. It, it's not that hard. I would say, you know, when it comes to boarding the plane, what we call gate lice, don't be a gate lice where you're just hanging out, crowding the area. I hate that. So, you know, know your lane and stick to it, you right. know, and, and people who are just chomping at the bit to get on the plane. I get it. The overhead bin space is really scarce these days, but 
you know, if you really want it that bad, like, you know, pay for the extra boarding or get a credit card that'll give it to you. Um, but you know, in general, just be nice. I don't know why people get on an airplane and all of a sudden it's like combat mode. You know, if yes, you're allowed to recline your seat, but you know, if there's someone super tall behind you and it's an hour long flight, like be cool about it, you know? So I just think be a little, um, you know, if you're in the middle seat rest, you get both armrests, you know? So someone who's in a middle seat, it sucks for them. Give them that armrest or, you know, if you really want it, say, hey, do you mind? I just think being a little bit more compassionate. And I'm not one of those snobby travelers. Look, if you want to clap when the plane lands, all, all four of That's you. That's my know, mom. That's cares. my mom. You know what? What I, I like, I smirk <laughs> no, at it. Some people no, get really annoyed at it. I'm like, I love it. Hey, guess what? We're alive. Yeah, you know? thank God. It's always clapped that we're alive. So. Oh, man. I, I recently got on a flight and there was a, a couple, and it was a three three passenger row. There's a couple there who just got married. And it's not their seats. And they're like, listen, we just got married yeah. and we're going to be sitting here. Yeah. I was like, no, nah, no, nah, that's me and my wife's yeah, seats. Yeah, yeah. And they were like, we're oh, yeah. newlyweds. And I was like, that yeah, is not so part of the agreement. Yeah, no, yeah, to- you're totally right. Um, your, your lack of planning is not someone else's problem. So I know. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, and last, last question. If you, I mean, to make this like an, an episode of how, how we made it or how you made it. I mean, could you distill down one thing that's helped you build all this inside of you that's led to so much of your success? Yeah, I would just say, I mean, it's truly my love for helping people, you know, and and that's what I, I mean, people come up to me and thank me for saving them thousands of dollars. That's really cool. Um, and that to me, that's what this business is built around, right? Like service. And even as we grow and I'm very, very aware of the quality of our content and making sure, you know, we can write silly articles about, you know, a woman puking and doing a backflip on a plane that might go viral. But at the end of the day, like our brand is about making our readers smarter about using points. And did that happen? Oh, I don't know. I just made it up. It probably did happen. And it's probably number one on the site right now. Solid. um, (laughs) It's a really fun story, isn't it? No, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's just like loving what you do is it's so important. It sounds so cliche, but like, you know, find that thing that like really lights a fire inside of you and, and stick with it. And I also think be your, you know, be passionate about it because that comes off. You know, I meet so many people who are trying to pitch businesses or make something work and they're not passionate about it. And I think people are really smart these days and, and can, and smell through that. So, you know, align yourself with something that you just love doing every day and, you know, work hard to make money at it. As we've discussed today, there's plenty of ways to make money out there. So my man, thank you. Safe travels. Loved it. That's it. That was the podcast. Brian Kelly, my guy, the best, the points guy. Listen to his podcast. You'll love it. And that's it, y'all. That was it. How about that, right? We did it. We fucking, one more podcast. In the books. Man, I love doing this. I don't know if anyone's listening, but fuck it. You know what I mean? Like, I love podcasts. And I love that I can, like, reach out to people and they actually do the pod. Last week, I interviewed Mark Romanek, one of my favorite directors for the podcast. I'm pretty sure I just pronounced his last name incorrectly. But nevertheless, what a guy. That episode is coming soon. You guys are going to love it. Um, Yeah. And I have a son which is cool, and that's going well, I think. We'll see, you know? You don't really know how you're affecting your child till like, years out. 
till they like they're the weird kid who like sniffs some markers in the back of kindergarten or like they're you know like a biter or yeah well, I mean we'll see if the hard work pays off in a couple of years but as of now my kid is showing no sociopathic tendencies so it's a win anyway guys love you thank you for listening okay bye